Well, happy Valentine's Day, everybody. This is your date night right here. Some of you are wearing red and pink. That's pretty good. And Well, purple, I guess that counts. Let's pray and we'll get started into James chapter 2. Lord, we thank you for this morning or this evening and the time we get to spend in your word and the worship we've had so far. And we pray for the kids being taught in, the, in, the, in their little area over there. We pray that their little hearts would soak up everything their teachers prepared for them. And we pray that you'd help us to do the same in here, God. We thank you for James. We thank you for putting it on his heart by the Holy Spirit to just to make sure that we're doers, that we're actually born again, and we appreciate that. And so it help us to receive this, this chapter in the, in the spirit in which it was intended with love and care and concern. In Jesus' name, amen. James is a good brother. Everybody needs a James in their life that'll just look at him and say, I love you, but, you know, and tell you what you need to know. And that's all he's trying to do. And I think Jerry did a wonderful job last week, and uh, it was a very spirit-filled. And, and when you have a spirit-filled teacher and a spirit-filled listener, things can happen. And hopefully the same is tonight. I pray that God's Holy Spirit would help me share this in the spirit that it was intended. Um, James was concerned, obviously, that the people who made a profession of faith weren't born again, flat out. They're, they weren't bearing fruits worthy of repentance. And so it, it's going to be hard to get away from that. That's, that's the book. So there's like no new points to bring up. He's going to be constantly saying in many different ways the same thing. Are you doing it? Is it translating into action in your life? Or are you just reading, absorbing, learning? And here's the thing I want to, if, if you tune out for the rest of the night, because I know you've all had a hard week or a hard day at least, and sometimes you get a little bit sleepy about 20 minutes or 30 minutes into the teaching. If you make it that far, I get it. This is a place of rest. You know, sprawl out. We've got some room tonight if you need to lay down. Here's the thing. What do demons believe and what makes me different from them? James is going to hit on that tonight. What do demons believe about God and what makes me different from them? Because they're not saved. They believe the Bible. They believe in Jesus Christ. They know that he died on the cross for sins. They know all of those things. They believe he rose from the dead. They know that stuff. Okay. So what makes me different from them? Because there needs to be a difference, obviously, because they ain't going to heaven. And I want to make sure that I am. Because in the Midwest and everywhere, I don't mean to pick on us, that is a problem. We've been churched. We, we know the Bible. We were taught the Bible. We've been instructed that we're Christians. We've been told that by our parents. No, this is a Christian family. And I've heard this said a couple times since I've been here. I mean, I grew up here too, but since I've come back born again... Because I was church too, but not saved. I've heard this phrase, and let's let this sink in tonight. Um, oh, you're a born-again Christian. They, they title me that, or they title us that, if you're one. You know there's no other type. There is no other type of Christian than a born-again Christian. If you are not a born-again believer, you're churched. You're equal to the demons at that point. To be a born-again believer is to be a Christian, and there are no other types of Christians, okay? So 
James brings up a good point, and this isn't something new. This isn't for 2024, like, oh, something's happened to the church. This is first century church. We've got a problem. We've got people that are talking the talk, but not walking the walk. And that shows evidence of perhaps you're not saved, okay? So that's where James come from. He is not willing to let that go for the sake of a comfortable conversation between he and all of his buddies. And we need to be careful about that too. I need to be able to have this tough conversation like James says, I love you so much, I'm not going to push this under the rug. We're bringing it up now. That's exactly how I got saved. That's exactly why this churched Lutheran person got saved. Because my roommate in the Marine Corps wouldn't let it go. How do you know you're saved? What makes you think you're a believer? How come? And my answer was the same as everybody else's answer. I grew up in the church. I knew the Bible. I believe in Jesus. I know that he lived. I know that he existed. I know what he did. I went to Easter. I I went to Christmas services. I went every Sunday almost. But I was not born again. And that's the difference. So James is like, we're having the talk. Because I love you. Verse 1 or verse 1 of chapter 2. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings in fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, You sit here in the good place, and say to the poor man, You stand there or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? One of the things James was seeing was a propensity to give people of wealth or position a little more attention, a lot more attention. You've got dirty feet, you're kind of gross, you're kind of, you sit on the floor and and see, we don't necessarily get that. We think, oh, that, wouldn't that be cool if we were all, you know, so full in here. We were sitting in the aisles and sitting on the floor and singing Kumbaya. That's kind of a cool thing, you know, not back then. It meant something. You don't get a seat. You're, you're in the standing room only section of church. Even though there are seats, those are saved for those who can do something about us, help us. Something we can get something from. We honor them. It's hard. I don't know if you've ever met somebody and then find out that they're a multimillionaire. It's difficult to treat them the same way as when you first had the conversation. I don't know how it came up. I don't know where it came up. But having a conversation, talking like good old, you know, couple Joes, you know. And all of a sudden you get, the, you get that whiff of wealth. And you're looking at, oh, that's a Rolex. Okay, I get it. Oh, and I walk them out to their car. Oh, yo, oh. And you don't mean to, but there it is. There's a prejudice. There's a prejudice that comes up. Can I get you a glass of water? You know, do you need anything? Are you comfortable? I want you to feel welcome here. You know, kind of thing. I'm not saying that happens at church. I don't know that we have any... But he liked that here. Let me see your wrists. No, I'm just kidding. We have prejudices. We just have to watch ourselves and recognize them when they come up. I don't think we can help it. I mean, I know we can help it. That's not the right way to put it. 
I don't know that we can avoid it. it they're there. We just need to all oh, recognize that that's of the flesh. That's not of the spirit. And deal with it like you do anything else in your life. And James is going to flat out call it in chapter 2, sin. It's just flat out sin. If that's the only thing you ever did, it's worthy of Christ's death on the cross. It's that bad. It's not something that's a lesser or something that you could have paid for yourself. It's that bad. So I'm noticing partiality, he says. I mentioned this on Sunday about keys. I'm going to try to pull that together here. Keys being, there are mentions of keys in in Scripture and how God has given us keys. So I'm going to string together a set of passages that I think go together. Whether they do or not, I don't know. They're all good, though. Take them individually or take them together. I don't think you can go wrong. Matthew 16, verses 18 through 19. Peter has just professed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And this is what Christ says to him. And I also say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I don't think that was for Peter only, like some believe. I believe that's for the church. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And we've all, every one of us individually, have been given a set of keys. And we can loose or we can bind. It's not meant to be a power trip. I'm going to bring in some other scriptures, I think, help clarify this. In John chapter 20, verses 22 through 24. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. See, I don't have an actual set of keys, but I've now been given by the Holy Spirit the ability to Forgive people that have wronged me, or not forgive people. That's a key, isn't it? That's something I can relieve somebody of, the burden that they carry of wronging me, the guilt they feel. I can relieve them of that if I choose to by giving them the forgiveness. That's a question I get a lot. I have a hard time forgiving this person. I get that. There are some people that have done some things to you in your past, and I don't even need to know about them. I know traumatizing they were to you. And yet in John 20, he says, I've given you the ability, the capability of forgiving them. You can if you want to. And I'm not faulting you for not. Don't get in the spirit that this is intended. Please understand. I'm not saying if you haven't forgiven them, they're bound and it's your fault. No, they bound themselves. They did it. They own it. Jesus is simply saying, Like I forgave you of everything you've ever done, I'm giving you the ability to forgive them and set them free and to relieve them of that burden. There's more. Matthew 18, verses 21 through 22. Then Peter came to him, Jesus, and said, Lord, how often shall shall my brother sin against me and I forgive them? If I have this ability to do this, when is enough? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. We've we've been given unlimited ability to forgive people of their sins. It's in your power to relieve them of that burden in your life or in their lives. I don't have to say, I feel like I'm a walking mat. I feel like I'm being run over, you know. Maybe you are. But I know a Savior that's been run over for 
thousands of years. <laughs> you talk about someone that's been run over. That isn't the issue. It isn't about your rights and it isn't about that. It's about the power that God, you're forgiven. You're going to heaven. You're a born again believer. That's a done deal. I have the power to forgive people and don't misunderstand me also. I don't want to keep qualifying this, but I know someone will watch this and say, he thinks that he's God. I'm not saying I'm giving entrance to heaven. I'm not giving absolution. I'm not saying, I forgive you. You may now go to heaven. I forgive you. No, I'm saying you're relieving them of the burden between you two. Between you two, you can forgive them. Because I know Christ will do it, but that'll be up to him to do what he wants to do. That's not my role. But my job is to give that forgiveness. Isaiah 58. It's a long chapter. I don't know that I'll read it all. I'll read a section of it for you here. Um, but that is really been strong on my heart for this fellowship. And it is a fast that God is talking about in Isaiah, and it's not a food fast. He says this in verse 5, we're going to jump right into the middle of it. Is it a fast that I have chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast, an acceptable day to the Lord? Because they were doing that. But they were neglecting the weightier matters of the law. Here's what he wants. Verse 6, Is this not the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked, that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh. That's the fast. Doesn't sound like our typical fast, is it? I'm all for fasting and praying. I think you should. When the Lord leads you to do it, I think that's a wonderful thing to do. I'm not going to prescribe it. I'm not going to say there's a time and that's between you and God. But this is all the time. This fast that he read, verse 6, 7, both those verses in Isaiah 58, that's the fast. I never considered myself an oppressor. <laughs> in the sense that if I don't forgive someone of the sins against me, am I oppressing them? Are they, are they forced to carry that around with them wherever they go because I won't let it go? Because I won't set them free? Just something personally for me as I was studying this, to let things go, to forgive them, to maintain fellowship or even bring fellowship back into my life. Those people that I think aren't deserving of it or that wronged me. And they may have. And they may have. But I can let them go. We're moving into a time where the, a lot of the church, a lot of believers are moving into a time of Lent right now. And I think it just started. I don't pay much attention to it, um, and I don't want to get into it too much. But hey, as long as we're going to take this time of fasting, anybody watching online that is participating in Lent, and maybe you are in this fellowship here too, wonderful. But make sure this is part of that fast. To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke, to share your bread, to bring into your house the poor, to cover those that are naked, and don't hide yourself from them. 
Sometimes the ashes on the forehead and sometimes the lack of food that we take and we let everybody know that we're not eating chocolate for the next, you know, whatever. Or no soda for me or whatever. Okay, you know. If that brings you closer to God and every time you wanted to have a Coke, you decided to get on your knees and pray, wonderful. Wonderful. And not just sit there for that whole time wondering when you can have a Coke and counting down the days to when you can indulge, which is what Fat Tuesday is all about. It's finally the the end of the feasting before the famine. Finally, my next scripture is Matthew five twenty three through 24. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. It's that big of a deal. These keys that he's given us, this ability to forgive people is that big of a deal. Before you begin to raise your hands and worship, because we don't have offerings anymore, we don't lay lambs and things like that before the Lord, but at this time they did when Jesus said this. Before I sing out my heart to God and keep my brother in chains without forgiveness, he says, stop singing, go make right with him so that you can lift up holy hands without wrath. Forgive those people. Set them free. It sets you free to worship. That forgiveness that you offer, that ability to let that go, to let undo that, regardless of how they receive it, that's the important part of this, I think, also, is that it doesn't matter whether they look at you like you're crazy or what. Maybe one day they'll understand it, but it's for you. Before you can come and worship at this altar, make sure that you've reconciled with everybody you can reconcile with for your sake. There are some prejudices that he spoke of here that I don't want to let go here. The forgiveness is one thing. But these partialities, they can be economic, rich and poor. He's, that's the main one he focused on. It can be racial. May not even know it. May, I say things sometimes, I'm like, oh, I just grouped everybody together in that category by saying them. I didn't even know it. We do have to be careful about that. I'm not a woke pastor by any means in the sense of a leftist pastor at all. I get that. I understand that that's weird and wacky and I don't want to, but I do recognize some of the things that I carry with me that are blind spots. Oh, they, oh, them. Well, no, I don't want to be treated that way. And it goes both ways. It goes wherever we go. Every single person is a soul. We've been happened to given certain shapes and sizes and colors, but the soul is all that goes into heaven. That's all that matters. And I need to see people and treat people that way. So race can be one. Gender. Men and women. That can be another one. There is no male and female in heaven. There is no marriage in heaven. Every soul, every spirit is absolutely... The, Equal in God's eyes. Always has been, always will be. Jesus is the great liberator of the oppression of women. Always has been. Wherever Christianity goes, women are liberated. And to remember that, they're not less. They're equal. Ageism, it's another one. Young people. The young folk, you know. The old people, you know. Well, so you know, for, I've been in the middle for most of my Christian faith, so nobody could say anything against me. I could look down on everybody if I wanted to. Ah, they're old. Ah, they're young. 
Well, I'm moving to one of the other spectrums here. So now I'm going to start defending us older folk now. But I think we really need to be careful about the young people. Really need to be careful about that. Do not be dismissive. They are spiritually attuned, and they want to be. They want the work of the Spirit in their lives. They want to step out by faith. They want to do crazy things like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. They want to be those wild ones, radically saved. And us old folks that maybe aren't as radical as we used to be, calm down, youngin', you know. Uh-uh. Go do it because my knees won't let me, you know. Be careful. Yet we have a lot of wisdom to bring, I think, for those folks. And hopefully you young people can receive some wisdom from us. But I'm going to whisper something in your ear. Old people can close their ears if they want to. But you young people, be careful. Make sure you're listening to God. Listen to the Holy Spirit and do what He's leading you to do and guiding you to do. Because we're not going to hear for God or from God for you. He will speak to you directly. Now, it's up to you, though, to understand God's word and to make sure that it's biblical and that it is from God. Learn to hear your shepherd's voice, but by all means, listen to him. Listen to him. Education. We can worship education or we can categorize people based off of their... Well, we identify education for the most part with words, with the way people speak, I think. I think. It's really hard to really believe anybody from Alabama or Louisiana or the Appalachians in general. I'm just kidding. You're like, hey, there is. There's something about. There's something about dropped vowels or dropped consonants or (laughs) dropped a lot of things. It's difficult, you know. That doesn't mean anything in God's economy. That was one of the things I think that probably set Jesus apart more than anyway. He was a Galilean. And everybody knew nothing good comes from Galilean. In fact, the way Peter spoke and the way the disciples spoke was an identifier. You're a Galilean. I've seen you. I can hear the drawl in my ear. Imagine Jesus. We get this idea of Jesus at the Sermon on the Mount. Like he's orating from Cambridge or something, you know, or Yale or Harvard. He probably talked like this, you know. I'm just saying. You pass out them five loaves and two fishes, and we're going to get everybody fed here. You know, I'll sit down. What if he did? I know he didn't. I don't have a Hebrew accent. I don't know how to do it. But what if he did? I can't receive from that. I can't hear that. I can't do that. Careful. Careful. What draws you to people? Their soul or their circumstances? What makes your circle of friends? Their heart for Jesus, which is what draws, draws all together here tonight. Or are we economically the same, racially the same, same gender, same age, same education? What draws us together as believers should be our faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. That's it. Verse 5. Of James chapter 2, if you're wondering where I am now. (laughs) Listen, my beloved brethren. He always throws that in there. I do love you, beloved. (laughs) I'm beating you, senseless, but I love you. Listen, my beloved brethren. Has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith 
and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? In other words, not everybody... Now he's... (laughs) That was a little prejudicial the way he wrote that, isn't it? Don't the rich... Well, not all the rich. You can see Barnabas, you know, and all the, or, or, you know, Gaius. He's like, hey, I give to the guy. That's not me. And we know not you. Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all his holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. He will set the sheep on the right hand and the goats on the left. And the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom, of, uh, the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick. You visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. The rich helping the poor, the destitute. That's what that is. So rich people can go to heaven too provided they recognize Christ when they see him in in mankind. And they did. Now the righteous responds to that and will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison or come to you? And the king will answer and said, Assuredly, I say, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. So the key is, you're not helping a poor person because you think Christ is watching. The righteous said, didn't even cross our minds. We saw man, a soul, in need, and we helped him because we're believers, because we love the Lord, because we're righteous. That's what a righteous person does. It's a natural act. It isn't something that needs to be processed. Oh, you need something. I've got it. It's yours. That's normal. That's normal. They didn't even consider it. Then he will say also to the, on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. A little bit of doctrine there for you, a little bit of understanding, theology there, that hell was made for the devil and the angels, not for us. The only reason we go there is because we follow him, Satan. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. And they will also answer him. Lord, when did we see you hungry, thirsty, stranger, naked, sick, prison? And did not minister to you. If we knew it was you, Jesus, we would have. That's the point. I don't want you looking for favor with me. I don't want you looking for the person who can give you something in return. Every person in need represents me. Every person in need. He answered them, Assuredly I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me, and these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now, why did I bring that up? To guilt us all into giving the guy with the cardboard sign five bucks? No. It's to let us know how important the doing is to God. I don't care what you proclaim. I don't care what you profess. 
The fact that you didn't do it is the evidence of a changed heart or a lack of a changed heart. Bible study after Bible study, quiet time after quiet time, if it does not produce obedience in your life and a change in behavior, you're equal with the demons at that point. That's a hard thing to say. That's a hard thing for me to read. I do a lot of study. (laughs) And oftentimes it's hard. You have to catch yourself thinking, stopping yourself from thinking, I teach every Sunday and Wednesday. What more does God want from me? A lot more. A lot more. That's the tip of the iceberg. That's just what we're called to do. That's just something that it's a one way to serve. and, And I will do it. But I meet people day in and day out all over this world in different circumstances and different spheres of influence, and they deserve Christ wherever I go. I need to remember that. This isn't it. This is part of it, but that's not it. Verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble at one point or in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, I underline that in my Bible, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder or do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, have you become, you have become a transgressor of the law. It isn't about a list It's about a person who wrote the list. That's why I circled. It's he who said, that's what I worship. I don't worship the rules. I don't worship the entrance exam into heaven. I worship the one who wrote it. I worship Jesus. I don't sing songs because that's what we do before service. I sing songs because my God is listening to me and I'm giving the sacrifice of praise to him. I worship him because I love him. That's the difference between demons and born-again believers. Born-again believers have a relationship with God so much so that they love Him and they must worship. They must do righteousness. Not because they have to get to heaven and that's what they do to get there. That's religion and that's completely different and useless. It's a natural expression of my belief. I challenge you. You say you believe, but you don't do. I'm telling you, you don't believe. Because if you believed, you'd do. That's the key. There's a bomb in this room. It's going to go off in five seconds. Those of you who believe me will run out the door. Those of you who don't, won't, you see. The people that actually understand that heaven is coming and hell is coming, that the kingdom of God is at hand, and that these things are all true, will do what the word tells them and not just keep and hold in the head See, that was the problem with the Jews. You think that because you have the law, that you're okay. We have the Torah. We have the scrolls. We have them encased. We look at them every single Saturday. We read them. No, no. They speak of me, Jesus says. The whole point of having the scroll is to introduce you to me. It's a love letter about me. It's about who I am. It says that you can fall in love with me. That's what being born again is. You fall in love with God. You're infatuated with Him. It's Valentine's Day. I'm going to pick on you, Jenny. First time I saw her in the room, 
That was my target in a good way. I mean, there was nobody else I was interested in. It was her. I was like, mm-hmm, 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 mm, you know, kind of thing. Now, I'm going to get off her so she doesn't feel totally, you know, embarrassed all night long. But when my friend introduced me to Jesus, you can't keep me from him. I can't stop staring at him. I can't stop getting to know him. He's the greatest person I've ever met in my entire life. And I still haven't even scratched the surface of the depth of his awesomeness. I want to be like him. I follow him. What are you doing? I'm the annoying dog by the little... Remember the cartoon with the little dog and the big... What are you doing, Butch? Hey, Butch, what are you doing? Remember that cartoon, you older people? That's me with Jesus. Where are we going today? You know, kind of thing. That's what being a born-again believer is. And this is what James is trying to get across to the reader. Do you have that? Do you have that? Is Jesus that to you? Are you infatuated with him? Can you not read enough? Can you not know him enough? Can you not try to emulate him enough or imitate him enough? And is he your all in all? Christianity is the love of our God. Obedience is the expression of that love. I'm a Christian that declares my love for Christ. My actions, my obedience in my life is the expression that what I tell everybody is true. You see, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 10, in this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Here's how you know the difference. I mean, what a great verse, right? How do you know the difference between the children of God and the children of the devil? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. You're the devil. That's an incredibly hard thing to say, to receive, to put on your own life and, and, and examine yourself with that passage. The difference between the children of God and the children of the devil are those that practice righteousness and love their brother. That's how you know. They will know you are Christians, not by your proclamation, but by your love. And that is expressed, and that is shown, and that is done. It's a thing. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7-8, through 8, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who, who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. You cannot escape it. If God lives in you, if you're born-again believer, filled with the Holy Spirit, you will love. You do. If you don't have that love, then you're not His. And finally, 1 John 5, 2. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. Commandments are for me, true, but the commandments are for everybody else in my life. And if I love them, I'll keep the commandments. They live in peace when I keep the commandments. There is a blessing associated with me keeping the commandments. And my loved ones, the ones I love, reap that benefit, that fruit of me walking in the commandments. Verse 12. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Romans 14 tells us of this law of liberty, beginning in verse 1. 
receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to dispute over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. Who are you to judge another's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. There's a law of liberty, not a law like the Jewish people had, not like the law that was given on top of the mountain to Moses and to the nation of Israel, a law of liberty. And we're going to be judged according to that. Verse 14. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warm and filled, but you do not feed them the thing which they are, uh, which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. James is concerned that he's looking at a group of people half dead and half alive. Half think, proclaimed, professed, but are dead in the faith. And so he's going to give a couple examples here in a minute with Abraham and with Rahab of what it looks like to, if you're truly a believer, the natural fruit of a believer, the natural is obedience and a doing of the word, a doing of what he showed you to do. He's looking for profit. I think that's important for us. I have nothing to offer the king. We do. We absolutely do. I'm a born-again believer. I should profit my Lord wherever I go. He should know that wherever I go, they're going to get what Jesus would have given. Wherever I go, it should profit him. There should be profit. I shouldn't be able to look at someone and say, well, be warm and filled. It isn't the thought that counts. <laughs> the thought that counts doesn't count. You know, I was going to buy you a card for Valentine's Day. Thanks. <laughs> well, at least you know my heart was in the right spot. Yeah. Was it though? You know? I don't believe in Valentine's Day. That's fine. You don't have to believe in Valentine's Day. You don't have to even celebrate it. But you do have to be a believer in Jesus, and you do have to do. You have to do. In Matthew 21, verses 43 through 44, Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a a nation bearing the fruits of it. There is supposed to be fruits of the kingdom of God, evidence that the kingdom of God, this fellowship shouldn't exist if there's no fruit coming from it. What a waste of time to be a dead church where nothing happens outside of these walls, that the people that are born-again believers only profess and then don't do, actually bless the community that they're a part of, actually change the lives of other people, impacting like Christ did wherever he went. We're called to that. And whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. It's an interesting verse. I look for broken people. A born-again believer is a broken person. They've been broken by the love of Christ. They're broken. I'm worried about a prideful person. I wonder if they've experienced the love of Christ. I wonder if 
the rock has fallen on them and broken them, you know, or they've fallen upon the rock and been broken by him. I wasn't broken until I was broken. I had gone to church. I had grown up. I was 19 years old of churched hedonism, (laughs) living for the devil, child of Satan, didn't know it, would never say it, would always call myself a Christian, had it on my dog tags, you know. But it wasn't until I fell upon the rock of Jesus Christ that night, June 1989. I don't know the day, and that's okay, because in the military, all the days blend together anyway. But I know the moment. I can relive it in my mind that night. I was broken. Have you been broken? If you haven't been broken, I'm going to say it. I don't know that you're saved. I don't know that you're going to heaven. I don't know that you haven't been just churched or indoctrinated or taught. You need to be broken. And you need to know what that feels like. And if you haven't had that, I don't want you to do it here. I mean, I want you to do it here, but it isn't about doing it publicly in front of us. It's about having that moment with God, and you need to have that moment tonight with Him. You need to ask Him to be your Lord and Savior. You need to ask Him to be born again. You need to ask Him. It needs to be a personal thing between you and Him, your soul, your spirit to Him, between you two, and be born again tonight, and no longer walk in the fake, no longer deceiving yourself in the fact that you think because There's some sort of program that you've been a part of and you've grown up in an industry of Christianity. Break it tonight. If you haven't. Because the warning here in Matthew from Jesus is if you don't fall upon the rock and are broken by the love of Christ, you will be judged and the rock will fall upon you. And not for salvation, but for judgment. You're not okay in the current condition. You're either born again or you're not. Verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. James says, show me your faith without your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. Of course, faith is important. Of course, faith and proclamations and professions of faith are important. In fact, we have scriptures that say all of that. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, well, that's the key. Do you believe in your heart? Because if you believed, you'd be doing. That's all James is saying. If you believe, verse 19, that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. It's pretty hardcore for him to say that. I believe in one God. I believe in Jesus Christ. So So does Satan. What's the difference? Again, obedience is the natural evidence of belief. Professions of faith are simply that, professions. Time will tell if they truly believed. How many did we baptize up at the prison? Up to 40? Those were professions of faith. Time will tell. I hope all 40. 100% success rate. Wouldn't that be wonderful? But that's a profession. You know how we'll know? They'll be doers. There'll be a changed life. If you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior and there's been zero change in your life and you're still living the exact same way you were, you need to call into question your faith. You need to examine your heart. There should be a change. 
you are being conformed into the image of Christ. It may be slow (laughs) and painful, but you're moving in that direction. Be confident. Verse 21, was not Abraham our, here's our two examples, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Why was that a big deal? Because God said, I'm going to give you the promise through your son Isaac. Now go kill him. Okay. I believe you so much so that I'm going to do the second step knowing that you'll fulfill that first step somehow, some way. I can do this. My faith, my belief isn't just a verbal. I'm going to actually, oh, that's fine. I don't know how you're going to do it. You have to figure this out. And he was willing to do it. Uh, he lived it. Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that man is justified by works and not only, or not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? Her faith was so strong in the God of Israel who was massing on the other side of the Jordan that she says, I believe so much so that when her life was in jeopardy by being caught by the people in Jericho for hiding these spies, she was all in. I am not with you, even at, to the detriment of my own life, or even to the, to the, to the danger. Mm-mm. No. And then she tells him, hey, before I let you go, before I send you on your way to the other way, and I'm going to tell him you went that way, and you're going to go that way, be sure and save me and my family when you come back. And they said, we will, but you've got to be on the wall and hang that red cord out of your window, and then we'll know, and then you'll be saved. But you've got to do what we say. I can't promise you anything anywhere else in the city. You stay there. Guys, the walls of Jericho fell down. I want to see a good coloring picture of this because Rahab's house has to be standing there just like this with a little red cord hanging out and about five or ten people inside going, you know, that was a close one. That's faith. That's faith, that's works. Verse 26, our last verse. For as the body without the spirit is dead... So faith without works is dead also. In Matthew 22, 36 through 40, Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him. Now they're trying to catch Jesus and trying to get him put in prison. This is a lawyer asking Jesus, trying to get him to say something publicly so they can have a a court case. If he says the wrong law, Half the people will leave him and be mad at him. He picks two laws that are not in the Ten Commandments. I don't know that anybody recognizes that or not. What are the two greatest laws? Jesus, being a pretty good lawyer himself, as he's our advocate, said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. He just summed up the Old Testament with two commandments. You need to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Why do I bring that up? Because that's the evidence. I love God, I profess. I'm a Christian, I profess. That will show up in the second commandment, your love for your fellow man. Otherwise, 
the first is probably not being met because the only way you can love God is by loving man. If you don't love man, then you don't love God because God loves men, all mankind. And that's where I'll close tonight. Read Matthew 5. It's the Beatitudes. I'll just leave that there. Lord, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your word. We thank you for James, such a good brother. Oh, I'm so glad I had a James in my life. God, thank you for Brian Spafford and bringing him into my life. You knew just the right time, just the right place. It was a God-ordained thing. We, I know your hand was upon it, and I thank you for that brother. I pray that you bless him wherever he is and his family. Lord, help us to be bold enough, loving enough to be like a Brian or like a James in other people's lives. Help us, Lord. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word tonight. We pray that we just rest in our hearts, would bear fruit, have deep roots, changes from the inside out, and then, Lord, help us be doers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Glad to pray with you.